afternoon and welcome back to tea time with miss liz that's right we were here this morning with dr jeffrey scales talking with uh the amazing dermatologist in uh out in the united states and now we're here joined with the beautiful mona baker from the united states again that's right this thursday is all united states we're in the states this week so we have an incredible lady sitting in the back studio. So I don't want to waste any time. I want to get into it right away. So we're going to get the disclaimer going and we're going to get her bio. And we're going to get the beautiful Mona Baker in here. And we're going to talk about action onamics. I hope I'm saying it right. I'm sure Mona will correct me. And I am really, really excited about today's tea time because we're going to learn about movement. We're going to learn about the action of our bodies. And I feel we're going to have a really strong cup of tea because we have a beautiful, beautiful, incredible lady in the background so the disclaimer for miss liz's tea times live show miss liz myself is going live using Streamyard. before leaving a comment please grant Streamyard permission to see your name at streamyard.com please be advised that the content brought forward for any tea time show hosted by myself miss liz is always brought forward in good faith however may bring forward dialogue and opinions that are not representative of my platform the facts and information are perceived to be accurate at the given time of airing all tea time guests and audience participation Participants are responsible for using their good judgment in taking any action that may relate to the discussion. The content brought forward may include discussions for some, somewhere they may be emotionally at risk. It is significant to know that this show is engaging in discussion forms only to offer and inspire awareness and connection and is not providing therapeutical advice. If you have any questions about the disclaimer or the panelist discussion, you may freely contact me, Miss Liz, through my email at bookingmissliz at gmail.com. Moving forward, should you choose to voluntarily participate in today's show in any aspect, I myself, Miss Liz, welcomes you. And should you decide that the show is not made for you at this time, I will see you at a later show at a later date and time. Again, all tea times are done on Thursday this year in 2023. And if they're not on a Thursday, it's because they are a rescheduled tea time. So now let me get Mona Baker in here. I'm going to get her to introduce herself. And if she, there's a couple things that are missed. I'm going to read them off of the bio, but I really want to get her in here and I want to really get moving because today we're talking about movement. So I really want to just move along. So welcome, Mona. It's an honor to have you here. It is a great honor and pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for this wonderful invitation and opportunity to experience Miss Liz Tea Time. <laughs> so Mona, could you share a little bit on who you are and how you got into all of this actionomics? How I got into actionomics? Well, how I started my life was I discovered that I had quite a passion for dance. And I followed that passion, uh, realizing it in as a ballet dancer. It had an expressive, uplifting way. I just loved dancing ballet. And I had the wonderful opportunity to dance with 
several amazing companies. The most notable was American Ballet Theater, and I just loved it. So, but unfortunately, <laughs> on my second year, I experienced a career-ending injury. And for six months, I had this issue in my foot that I was unable to put my point shoes on without developing so much inflammation and swelling. I just couldn't move my feet. So I went to many, many different doctors and they were unable to assist me. They didn't really understand what was going on with my foot. And so I didn't, after six months with APT, of course, not wearing point shoes, I was not fit and able to be one of their dancers. So I remember the night, the last night, I was carrying my theater case, leaving Lincoln, the theater at Lincoln Center and passing the really beautiful fountains um, in, in there that are so inspiring. Well, they weren't inspiring me that moment. But as I turned to walk home, I said, I don't know where I'm going. And then I thought, well, I do know one thing. I am going to find a solution to the answer to the problem of my foot. And then maybe I can help other dancers. And in such a way, they don't have to experience what I'm experiencing now. So I first started in the field of movement because I realized that none of the doctors that I saw when I asked questions, they didn't really understand anything about movement, but more importantly, I didn't So in New York, wow, what I'd read about, I found it was a beautiful, vibrant community of certified movement analysts that I joined and I studied and I loved it. It was fabulous. I was learning how to document and see movement as a behavior, something I didn't know. It was just great that I was teaching. But you know, Miss Liz, I still didn't have an understanding of what the problem was with my foot. So uh, somebody said, well, why don't you go to this podiatrist? And so that's what I did. And when I walked in to see this podiatrist, I said, you know, I don't have an x-ray. Oh, I don't need an x-ray. Just show me your foot. Oh. And he said, wow, I see what the problem is. He said, the second bone is longer than the first bone of the two bones in your feet. So it created pressure between the first and the second bone in such a way that it was causing so much inflammation and irritation. It was a huge swelling. And he said he could create a little prosthetic device, which is what he did, and it would separate the toes that went to this area, and he thought that would help me. So when he said that, I was very excited about the possibility of having help, but more importantly, what he said about the proportioning of bones and body parts, I had never thought and realized how critical that was the human body and moving. And I suddenly began to understand something from a different person that I didn't understand before. And it was great, but it still was not the solution that I really was looking for. And But from that, I did learn that maybe if I looked at movement as a behavior and all the different percepts and, and everything that I learned from it, then maybe I could see it differently. And that's when I got the idea of organizing it into a language. So I had to research how do we develop language. And that was really important because I knew as a movement analyst, the first um, pre-movement before we speak, developmentally, goes in such a specific and selective way that allows us to learn how to verbally speak. So I realized that that was part of our language learning experience. So Noam Chomsky's particular theory about how we acquire 
language spoke to me. And these two basic things were a subject and a word. I understood that. I could now see from all the movement phenomena, which um, phenomena was a category of a verb, which was a category of a subject. And I began to put them together in this mind-embodied way to engage so that the mind and body could speak selectively and specifically. And in the process of learning all of that, I sort of also discovered that the mind and body have the same kind of correlations as whether you're a visual learner, a tactile learner, or an auditory learner. We're very selective in how we coordinate our mind and body. And that is a big factor of having the right noun and verb work. And, if, and, when they're, and, and they're also coordinated well with the activity of your choice. And when all those three things come together, they say, wow, you're a real, you're a real natural talent. And that's how that all is. But there are also ways to work that in so that you can have your, be your own natural talent in that. And that's what my patent is about in terms of how the psychomotor method we need. And so that's that. And then I realized when I said my patent that this is a pretty abstract way of talking to people and I can talk to movement analysts, but there are not very many of us. Yeah. Going in numbers. And I needed to solve that problem. So one day I had an idea of creating a a unitog, <laughs> a garment where we could choose to put symbols on to represent the selective mind and body engagement. And I am wearing, I call it an acredica, and so I am wearing such a garment now. It has the markings for the uh, ballet dancer, which we use a lot of the joints. It's a circle for a ball that rotates, and a, um, a kind of a diamond for a hinge that opens and closes. And then you can bring them together, and you have the line moving, and you begin to see this moving instrument moving, and you begin to see the visual design that the body parts are describing in space, and they create beautiful geometric patterns that when you're not aware of that, you don't really notice them, because as a dancer, you're codifying them at steps, positions, and poses. This, that's not movement per se, that's dance. But when you add the elements of movement to it, and in this case, the visual design, you, have, you add another whole dimension of the human expression and experience to it. So that's how the actionomics and athletica work hand in hand to teach movement as a behavior. And for ballet dancers, and for, and, but I work also as a therapist because as I looked around and I began to realize most people in this country at least don't have a strong association with their joints. And the joints are so really very fundamental to how we move. If you remove all the soft tissues in the body and then you write down to that skeleton, what you are left with is the fulcrums and the levers or the joints and the bones. So that's why I go to that place of working and teaching people how to engage, teach their brain, how to see and connect and locate and articulate those joints to be able to release the joints and then it releases the muscles so the agonist and the antagonist movement of those muscles are working the way they're designed to move in a released and fully complementary way. So I teach, I'm um, at a, a, a Florida Integrated Medical Center as a practitioner, and I work with their clients that are everyday movers, people that come to the clinic for all sorts of different reasons, and but sometimes they come with pain in a joint or pain in a, and then I work with them to teach them how to repattern how they are moving 
their everyday movement, which is core for everyone, because all our dance, all our sports, everything is a variation and an elaboration on the theme of our everyday moving. So if you know how to move in an every, uh, everyday way, everyday moving, then you'll be able to be optimizing whatever activity uh, beyond doing that so much better if, that, if you're engaged with a, an active mind and body conversation. So Mona, we have a question here for you. By being a former ballet dancer, has that helped you to understand the movements a little bit more deeper than uh, somebody who wasn't a dancer? It gave me certain certain disciplines and certain orientation. But I have to say, this is in the beginning, it was a huge, gargantuan obstacle in. And when I first went to talk to Ermgard Bartenev, I said, I'd like to be uh, study, become a sort of certified movement analyst. And she looked at me and she said, when I had told her I was a ballet dancer, she never had a ballet dancer get through this program. And I said, well, I'd like to try. <laughs> the second week I knew that we did a lot. And this training, we did an awful lot of work lying on the floor and it was really beautifully designed because you see when you're working with movement you're working with gravity but when you're on the floor you're in a, an environment where gravity is not such a big issue and so you're in a purer state a freer state of moving and so we have been given this uh, request in this class to just start moving like an amoeba like formless and I hear that formless, you know, a ballet dancer. I still haven't totally committed to giving up my ballet career. All the ones that I'd spent all these years, you know, layer upon layer each day building that. And I could just see it all going out the door. And I said, I'm at a fork in the road when they came up and said, you're not doing it right. And I said, well, I'm where I'm at. So I let go. And I moved like an amoeba. As soon as it felt awful. It felt, I felt nude. I felt vulnerable. I had nothing. It took me to rock bottom. And I groveled with it. I know now what a, uh, a, um, a crab or a lobster feels like when they shed their, their shell. I had nothing. I had no identity. And all of my peers did. They knew who they were, their body was when they walked into that studio. I didn't know. So it made it, that vulnerability had, you know, there's always nuggets with everything. It's a real challenge. And I wouldn't go back to the other. I kept going forward, allowing myself to be vulnerable because it took me to having and discovering a different way to have a, to organize and have a conversation with my body. And at the end, you know, I was, I successfully completed, completed the program and I thrived in it because I allowed myself to let go of who I was and all of that had been so special as a dancer. Let go, relinquish that and have the faith to go forward and trust that what I was going to learn was much greater than I knew before. And I was going to take that risk because I'm a little bit of a rebel. <laughs> which i want to get into because you're going right into it mona i asked the guests what their favorite colors and one word to describe themselves and mona gave me the word rebel with a cause so i want to get into this rebel with a cause so what does rebel mean to you mona rebel means going upstream taking a risk challenging yourself in a new way and you don't necessarily have somebody to model how to do it because you're doing it your way. And in my case, the cause is to bring movement, as I understand it, to the world. Because, you know, this list, one thing that I, the COVID whole pandemic, it was an amazing learning experience for all of us. 
Yes. I mean, yours truly didn't know anything about going online. And I couldn't do my practice anymore at the, uh, at the Holistic Medical Center. So here I am online. But it was a wonderful experience. I struggled and everything. But I learned a lot. And also, I'm observing all of the time while I'm having this experience. And I learned how to be therapist and do that online and everything. But I also am on, you know, you do these beautiful networking groups and they're kind of funny and you're all these amazing people. But I also noticed that when we are sitting in front of a screen, a two-dimensional screen, day in, day out, our brain begins to get retrained as to who our body is. Yes. And it is a two-dimensional body. It is a body without a volume. And that's a tragic thing to do because a body without a volume isn't breathing very well because breath is about creating and bringing volume, a sense of volume, and shrinking and expanding and giving you pulse and such. So in this very artificial environment, we are losing and becoming disconnected in a really authentic way with our peace. So in all of this, I'm saying, wow, there is a real problem. I need to do whatever I can. My part in life, with what I learned to share, because what I know is movement. This is so, such, so exciting. It was transformative for me. It was, it's been empowering for me. And it's given me new action. My tea, I want to serve that tea to as many people as I'm able to. Because you know, when they discover how the mind and body go on, it's really exciting. I see the lights going on. And like when someone's teaching and the teeth and the, and you see that they get, they just lift up and they start to glow. And that's what I really, really enjoy. So I'm a rebel with a cause to bring the transformation, the empowerment and the action, the team to a movement to as many people and I just love the way you just served your tea, Mona. Like you just floated right in like a smooth cup of tea. You see how she did that, guys? She just moved it right in because Miss Liz didn't even ask her what her tea was. She just slid it in. And I love it because you're actually opening the minds of how important it is to move. You know, even during the pandemic, we all stood still for so long that our minds started to shut down and started to process differently, you know. And here we had all these openings and doors that were opening and opportunities that were coming in a different way. So we were like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. But we learned so much. The process of being vulnerable and raw and trying exactly like what you did when you, you started doing this whole transformation. Like it just flows like a nice sweet cup of tea. Like I just love this tea. Like I love when the guests really have a beautiful tea and you truly have a beautiful tea, Mona. Thank you. you you also gave me the color yellow and as you can see i'm wearing yellow so if you pay attention miss liz where's the colors that the guests give her so i try to get as close as i can so i did find yellow and i'm wearing yellow so why yellow mona is your favorite color i love yellow because it's a color that i would connect with sunshine it's the color that i feel happiness lightness and joy and when I dance, I love the lightness. And so that's for me, is the buoyancy that comes from yellow. It's a happy color for me. I would have never thought of lights with yellow, Mona. Mm -hmm. I, being, being a ballerina dancer, I, I'm sure you've had the light on you quite often, right? Because yes. ballerina dancers are mainly dance, dancing solo unless they're doing a, a group uh mm -hmm. performance correct right you do both right so were you were you more of a solo ballet dancer or were you a, a group dancer so with ballet theater i was working my way up to soloist i was in the core with other companies i was a soloist in some principle 
you sort of have to do your time. <laughs> and you know, it's very strategic. As I said, it was in my second year when I had the issue with my foot. And part of the reason that you do your time is, and you go through all the parts, then you know the ballet inside and out by the time you get to be a soloist, demi-soloist, and the principal. So you are much more familiar with everything. And you're, it's much, the rehearsal time, the learning time, the, the um, coaching time is, is much less because you're already so well-versed in the ballet. You know the music. You know, you know everything about it. You've, been, uh, you've, lived it, you've lived it in all its different ways. So that's why we start, everybody, everybody starts at the bottom <laughs> and just to have that exposure. So we do have a question for you, Mona. They're asking, was ballet dancing in your family or were you the only one in the family that did ballet? So in my generation, I was the only one in my family that did it. But it's really interesting in the generations that have followed me, I have many that are taking ballet dancing and, um, uh, and they're doing really well and they love it. <laughs> I think one of them will probably pursue it professionally oh. and um, and another uh, was uh, very passionate about it. She's decided she wants to be a physical therapist. And oh. then her sister, who has danced and did very well, she is an ace volleyball player. And I think she's an ace volleyball player because she knows how to move as a ballet dancer. And she's so it's and it's amazing to watch her move. So that's um, really uh, it's fun to see that. And I have to say, it wasn't necessarily appreciated what I was doing by my family because I guess I was a little bit of a rebel. They hadn't expected anybody to. <laughs> Mona's yeah. been a rebel since she was little. Right. <laughs> so. so Mona, I, and we were in the background before the show started. We we got to talk a little bit and break the ice and all that, which, which I do with all the guests. And we were talking about my daughter she's a nurse and the empathy of a dancer and working with people and that and you're mentioning uh i'm guessing these are grandkid and grand and grandchildren or children of yours that are doing the ballet dancing mm -hmm. and they're getting into the field of working with people and movements mm -hmm. so is there a connection between the two of them so yes i mean ballet dancing gives you a heightened awareness of your body and movement. It gives you also this gusto to push or release to the end. If you're always trying to go to the next level, so you're challenging yourself. So you're using all of your sensibilities to do that. So they, your sensibilities constantly grow. And you have to realize that dance is the mother of the arts. It uses all of the arts and the sensibilities in a very uh, invigorated way. And so taking somebody who's done, like your uh, daughter, who has danced in so many different styles for 14 years, that's wonderful. And then for her to have taken it into her field, a nurse, is amazing because she walks in with not just an academic study and understanding of the body, but a, a, a visceral one, a sensory one, one that's alive that she can attune and engage and respond in such a way. And she also innately, there's a lot of trauma that people see in that field because people, you know, they're taking care of people that have issues. But she also has better ways to afterwards to release that trauma, to change the muscle memory that we pick up in our muscles from seeing trauma. But as a dancer and that pulse and that, all of that, when she leaves the hospital setting where she is, she can come back to her own identity and release it and not carry around the burden of that trauma that for, uh, professionals in the medical field who have not had that experience, sometimes that trauma becomes very, very overwhelming to them and can create health issues in them just because they don't know how to release it 
in an, just in an intuitive way that your daughter does because she loves to dance. And when we're dancing, we're moving on the rebound. That's the bounce. We love that. That's what keeps us jumping around. You know, when we're in a developmental period, when we're six, seven, and even younger than that, we start being pogo sticks, right? We're yeah. playing with gravity. That's what we keep playing with as dancers. That's what we do. So we'll, and we're actually, it's just beautiful. That rebound of gravity that keeps us, and it nourishes us. And it's, you know, see, your daughter has a built-in survival mechanism with her mind and body experience that she cultivated with all the discipline, all the training, all the experiences that she had as a dancer. So I really, and you know, dance is such a powerful way of uplifting the human capacity and experience and just vision. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I just watched you for a second. My ear, my ear popped off. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> but I wanted to, I wanted to get in because you're making some really good points, Mona, on dancing and trauma. So, do you use dancing and movement in in your everyday life to overcome trauma? So, when I'm working with my clients, I they come to me with um, just a huge amount of trauma in their bodies. Yep. So yes, I do uh, work with them uh, with the trauma, but I work indirectly. Sometimes there's a, um, a, a verbal conversation about it, but more often they will tell me, and then I will take what they will tell me, and I will put it into movement, working with their joints. Because as I said, when we work and we engage and we retrain the brain to where the joints are, we begin to set up a whole new mind and body conversation. And so if that conversation is using that joint differently the, and, it's, and how it's moving, the agonist and the antagonist movements of those muscles begin to form a different relationship, one that's freer and one that doesn't have that trauma associated with. So it's subtle about it, it that I, and how the joints that I select, the order of the joints, all pertains to how I understand that person's trauma, how I'm reading it. Sometimes they will come with a low back issue and it's appropriate for me to start with their hips. But sometimes they will come uh, with a low back issue and it's appropriate for me to start with their knees. Oh. I mean, it is so I have to choose because of what preceded the issue that set up why they're having. Well, that makes that makes really so, good sense. Right. That's, so that's the power that trauma has. You see, the other thing is we um, we're walking across the street and we trip and we fall. Well, the street is where the cars come and you, you, you tripped and you might have hurt your foot or something, but you know you're going to save your life. So you find a way to get from the middle of the street over to the other side. And but it's you get there, but it wasn't the way that you were walking. It is a substitute pattern. Your mind and brain were already able to create this movement pattern for you to be able to um, get to across the street, but it was a substitute pattern, and it's not the way your body was designed to move. And, 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 to move. and so that substitute pattern then becomes an ultimately a norm associated with your moving, uh, and even though the body begins to heal, it still has that trauma memory until you begin to erase it. And that's how I begin to erase it, by working with the joints that are in that sequence according to however that trauma happens. So I do ask about how they specifically fell or whatever it was, the issue. And, uh, and sometimes it's several issues. Sometimes it's a compounded, they'll have an issue someplace and, they, and they're moving as a substitute pattern and then they'll have another issue. And, and so they, 
that's what it is. I have to uncoil that. Because you see, the body moves, move, the, the universe moves in a spiral, and so do we. So I have to uncoil the, how all of these uh, um, traumas and such were acquired. And that's the sequence. That's how I do that. I like that word uncoil because, you know, we wind up so tight sometimes. Our muscles get so tight that we forget that we can just loosen them up by letting go, releasing. You know, we hold on to so much tension. So is there, is, there, is there three moves that you can show us to loosen up some of our joints? Okay. All right. That's great. So I'll teach you how to uh, uh, um, entrepreneurs generally have problems with their neck. They have problems with their neck. They have problems with their shoulders and their low back. So I'll teach them how to release the neck. And I think that's really, um, it's not just moves. It's just a, uh, it will take me a little while. So if we can do that, I'll be delighted. So, okay. So if, if you just turn your head from one side to the other. Okay. So, how do you think that turning your head from one side to the other? I don't know. When I was turning it to the right, my shoulder was popping, so I'm not sure what was going on. But my shoulder popped when I got to a certain angle when I turned my head. Mm-hmm. And then the other side, it was a nice, smooth spin, but the other side was a, like a little, little pop. Mm-hmm. So it could be the way that the head is being held during the day that's causing well, that? Or? It's because of how, not knowing how to turn it. So are you using your neck to turn your head? How do you think you're turning your head? Yeah, I'm using my what neck. Am I, am I, <laughs> I'm using my neck, am I not? That's what you, you're telling me, right? That's what it feels like when you're turning your head from side to side, right? That's yeah. what I'm asking. Okay. Well, of course, the neck has seven vertebrae in it. Oh, well, look at that. (laughs) (laughs) It's not really designed to twist, but we try to twist it because we don't know how to use the joint to turn the head. And there is a joint to turn the head. And you see, we learn how to turn our head from imitating everybody else you know the people that are around us when we're very young and they're twisting their neck so we start twisting our neck so we never really learn how to do it so the, at the top at the base of the skull is uh the, the joint is located at the base of the skull and the top of the spine okay and at the base of the skull you have a socket and at the um, at the uh, top of the neck, my face. You have a ball <laughs> with the happy face. <laughs> right. So this is what we're doing all the time. Oh, but this is what we really need to be doing, and it's because we don't know where the joint is. We really oh. know not to do it. There's a big right. difference. It was a huge difference. Wow. Okay. So, right. So now, where do you think that this joint is located? At the bottom of the ball. Yeah, but where on your head oh. base? Where, where is that? In the in your shoulders, like the top the top of your shoulders, right? Okay. Well, that's where you. Okay. The reason. So that's why I'm asking you is because your brain doesn't know where it is. It oh, would be telling well, that. you. Right. That's that's what I'm saying. The brain didn't learn where this joint was because we were imitating somebody else's movements, twisting the neck in this case, and the brain never had a chance to learn to learn it. Or if oh. it knew it once, it's forgotten. Okay. Well, they should be taught so, in school. <laughs> well, they don't well yeah i think so too but anyway so okay so 
So where would this be if it's not where you're thinking it, not pointing where Right at the top. Okay. So you're, and it has to be in the center because your head is round. It's like a ball yeah. on top. So it's about here, your cheekbones. Okay. So yes, it is, in, literally. But sometimes I like to create a functional awareness because I want you to have more space here. Yeah. So, yep. and each joint has encapsulating tissues. And when the brain gets an idea of a different, a functional location, it will release those encapsulating tissues to allow it. So I like to place it right above your, about an inch above your ears. I'm going to ask you to take your third finger because that's your axial yep. talking to skeleton. And you're going to place it just above about an inch above your ears. Got it? Okay. okay, so now I want you to image that you're, with your mind, you're going to see this socket turning from side to side. It's okay. the socket turning from side to side. And you're going to push it with, you're going to push it with your fingers to begin with just to invite the looseness. So the fingers oh, are Oh, there's really... a big difference, Mona. Yes, there is. Right. Wow. Right. That is, that is truly amazing. Right. So now that you've done that, and you, with your fingers, drop your hands, and just keep turning from side to side. And let the back of the head lead. Oh, I see the difference now. Right. There's, there is a difference because when I first did it, when you asked me to first do it, the movement was coming from the bottom of my neck. Mm -hmm. This is coming more of an elevate of the middle of the skull and right. turning the head now. Right. Well, look at that. Right. Isn't that amazing? Right. So that's side side, but the head can move up down. So let's take um, this again, and we're going to have this time. It's going to go here and here and here and here for your head to go up and forward, backward and forward. See if you can do that. So same. Place. You can put your fingers there. That helps. Right. Oh, there's a big difference. Right. Without then, my fingers, there's a difference. It's okay. almost like my neck is like. <laughs> right, right. So it's, we're going to go. It doesn't back. find a, a, a straight flow. Yep. It's got like a, like, a, like a little crooked to it. Right. So now, when you go back, does it feel heavy? When you Rotate put the fingers, does the head feel heavy? Nope. And then does it come light? Okay. Yep. What happens when your head comes forward? Back and forward. Is the head Ooh. heavy? Oh, there's a weight difference. Right. What do you think that is? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> it's gravity. Oh, well, look at that. It's really critical because we move, we want to move on the rebound of gravity and the head is the heaviest body part. And so if your head is like this, you're compressing your body, which is why we see so many people compressed because the head is, it's not aligned and gravity's not lifting it up. So find, you find that sweet spot where it's light and then you move and you stand up, the head is leading. You're following gravity. Gravity's picking you up. We want to move on gravity's lightness because that's how the body uh, most easy, it moves in the easiest way. It's what it's designed to move. And so it how allows- Mona, how, how come the brain doesn't know where our joints are? Because in that, pre-verbal time, like we're lying in the crib, <laughs> and we're watching our caretakers, whoever they are, 
because um, we don't know anything. We only know the womb. We don't know. We just see them moving. And, and so we've got to figure out how we're going to live in this new world. So the, we're watching the arms move. We're playing with the arms. We're watching and, we're, and the legs begin to kind of move. And we begin, but we get that all seeing how the people around us are moving. And you can, if you really pull back and watch in families, like a, a, a mother and her daughter or something, and you just watch in their subtleness of their movement, you will see how the daughter picked up the somatic, energetic patternings in the muscles. I, I was going to ask you about that because when I did some research on you, Mona, the somatic came up and I was like, what is that somatic? So somatic means of the body okay. and just, and the senses and the body coming together. It's an awareness term because so understanding look, our bodies, right? When you look at the body in the academia, they're not necessarily looking at it. They're looking at it anatomically, which is different. And yes, uh, somatic therapists, we know uh, the anatomy and the physiology, but we go one step or two or three or four steps way beyond that and move that into human behavior. So, um, but it's, it's dealing visceral, the somatic, the sensory, and becoming aware of that and using that. We're not machines, Mrs. And we have biomechanical notions of that's how the body moves. But we are not machines. We are moving instruments. That's what we are. So we have a question here for you, Mona. It's asking, what causes double joints? So uh, lots of people have, if another term for that is hypermobility. Okay. And you, ha you have ligaments and you have tendons around each joint. So the ligaments hold joint to joint and the tendons hold muscles to joints. That's how that works. And so there is a certain um, people that have, are hypermobile, their soft tissues, they don't have quite as much manganese in them. Oh, manganese, manganese is a strengthening uh, uh, mineral. It's a really critical one. And we don't seem to have it as much as we did in, in previous generations. So the soft tissues don't have that strengthening manganese. And so they stretch out. And when they stretch out, they get a little bit out of alignment because the ligaments are, are too loose. And so that's what that is all about. So in, in this situation, I don't invite that person to really stretch and, and take that joint all the way out because we, what happens is the muscle memory that gets associated with that move is, is going to want it to go all the way out. Whereas you want to train the muscle to say, oh, we just go this far and then we'll keep, keep it um, aligned. It's, it's in ballet dancing, um, you'll sometimes see a dancer they've called hyperextended and you'll see these beautiful legs like that and they have this hypermobility also. So but the double jointedness is this, this, the soft tissues of the ligaments uh, are just too soft, they're too stretched, they've been um, too much pulling and yanking and such and so um, just it's not, it's not as good a thing to have. So I want to get into, we're getting so close to the hour. Like I could talk for hours with Jimona about this because there's so much to learn. I want to get into the JRA moving instruments. What are those? So I have a program where I work with the 13 joints of the body, joint um, to, to joint releasing activation. This is kind of to, uh, and I, this is a program that I initially started for dancers to begin to teach them where their joints are and where they would release the joint, just they would find the joint, identify it, and then they would release it. And then they would 
activate it like activate it in a suspicion like this. So this one is passively with this hand is doing the moving like this. This my second hand is moving it. And this one it's moving itself. So I'm going through the teaching and reminding the body of the location specifically of all these 13 joints as we go through them like and they correlate with the uh, the athletica that I'm wearing so that the dancer then has imprinted in their um, body their moving instrument before they even start class. And in the act of doing the passive and the active joint articulations, the body gets really warmed up and you are not pulling, stretching. I have an issue when, when a dancer takes a muscle and they just pull and pull and pull and they tell you to go beyond that pain. That pain is a stretch reflex mechanism. It's, a, it's like the brain of the muscle only go that far and um, until it's ready to, to release. But as I said, if you activate the joint, then the muscle will probably release. So I don't ever, um, because you can destroy that stretch reflex mechanism, you lose so much of the vitality and the rebounding aspect of that muscle. It won't work as well, ultimately, if you overstretch. So anyway, the JRA is to um, learn, is to set up a prep to up the body. And I shared it with a really well, we know, well, we know gentleman, Dr. Les Knight, just a casual moment. And he was so impressed with it. He said, I want you to be in my seminars and teach my the physicians and the law enforcement officers about this. <laughs> so I did that for a number of years. And that was a really interesting experience, I must say, because <laughs> most of them, particularly the law enforcement officers, you know, I'm, I'm almost 5'5", five, five, but I'm petite. They can be really... Oh, and they'd be looking at me. Well, what's she going to do for me? Because they're on this big muscle. I said, you'd be surprised. <laughs> By the end of the class, they, you know, I all, I had them releasing their, and they could move because you can get muscle bound. And so that's that. So, but that's what it is. It's a special joint releasing and activation in a particular series going through the joints in the body to set up, to be able to prep the body, warm up, to be engaged with your moving instrument, to be able to then take the class, and it will set you up and balance you in such a way you, the likelihood for you to get injured is pretty remote unless you know, something happens to your shoe breaks or something. But I mean, I'm just saying it's a wonderful injury preventing kind of joint uh, articulation program. So, and I also noticed that you have therapy and dance on the website. So could you tell us a little bit about those two uh, uh, programs that you have going on? So um, in therapy, most most of the times it seems I will need to see that individual that person if they come to me with an issue because I like to be able to develop a customized program that works just for them and relative to the injury or the issue that they're having to be able to move beyond it and resolve it. Um, I teach in uh, the educational ones, I will teach them about the joints and I'll teach them about the JRA. I'll teach them all of these things in that kind of a setting, in a group setting. And I do that. I have a program for dancers I call Love Your Beat because that's where most of the injuries are happening now. So I teach them oh. about the 26 um, uh, bones and 31 joints and the feet, how to articulate and how to release them so that then they um, can start to begin um, to have an, uh, an injury prevention movement use of their foot. But then if somebody comes to me with already with an injury, then I will really need to take them much further than that and introduce them to the four arches in the foot and move ahead on that so that then uh, once they get those four arches activated in the way that we need to and we connect into the arches of the body, I can, because there's a whole art uh, system in the body that we actually move on, that will really help them to move much more easily. So so the therapy and the education, you know, it's uh, it kind of is just 
level of, of specificity and for the individual is probably where that line itself uh, uh, so it is between that. So one of you, if anybody wanted to get a hold of you, do you do like a virtual uh, assessments as well, or do you do them all in person? Oh no, I do a lot of things online. I do virtual. You, you do virtual, <laughs> right? And they work really well because I use models. <laughs> I didn't know whether it would work, but I it, because you get so easily focused on just seeing the model up front, and just like you really saw that. Whereas sometimes if I'm in a big room and I'm doing a workshop and a, you know, it's a little tiny thing, it doesn't have the same kind of impact on your brain <laughs> to have that as powerful a message. So, so, yes, do, do. so do you go into schools and do any programming or anything like guest, guest speaking in any of the schools in the States or? I haven't done that yet. You know, I'd love to. There's, um, it's interesting when you have something new and you haven't necessarily come up to the academia, not some academic background, yes, but not the academic that they would want me. And it's kind of an interesting challenge. So um, I, I would love to teach I, you know, wherever I can go. Yeah, because I'm just thinking just in that short time that you showed me with my neck and moving my neck and all of that, how important that would be to bring into the phys ed classes, you know, before we mm -hmm. start doing exercises and all that, that could be like a warm up of moving the right. joints mm -hmm. and, and that. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where I, I really see that in like learning the younger generation of understanding our joints and would, do you think that that would uh, give us less injuries in our muscle, in, in the joints mm -hmm. in that as well, if they were educated on that? Mm -hmm. And it gives us actually, <laughs> more leverage we have more power when we're using our joints more power than ever just using the front force of muscles so what message would you like to get out there about action 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 i can't say <laughs> my lips the joints in my lips <laughs> The action onomics. And what, what message would you like to get out there to the listening audience? So the message that I would like to get out is to begin to have a different appreciation for your body. It's your body as a moving instrument. And what the sensory experience that you have when you're moving, not just pushing in a quantitative way, but in a qualitative way. Because in the quote, when we're exploring and moving qualitatively, that's where we discover new things, new opportunities. So not to push the body. Yes, to have a mind that can read it, but not to push it. Allow the body to be as it's huge, it's big. And allow yourself to get out of your mind because so many of us are in our mind. When I work, I'm also a patient advocate at, at the Holistic Medical Center. And I work with just um, the patients there who are really, really ill. And you can't heal your body just living in the left side of your brain, seeing the disease and the names of the disease, having that chime through your body. You need to move over and see your body from the right side. See it healed. See it full. See it the volume. See it alive. Feel gravity lifting you up. Allow the lightness. Allow yourself to be joyful. We were joyful when we were children. We moved, we climbed trees or whatever we did, but we took joyfulness into just that was our lifestyle and we need to bring more joy into our lives not thinking about living and feeling it in your body not pushing your body releasing it acknowledging it and just be uplifting and put a smile on your face because the body's lighter also we have so much to look around and see the beauty of life. We have so much to be so grateful for. To take that, feel it, own it, 
and own it not in your mind only, but in your whole mind and body and spirit. They all work together for the greater good. Well, I want to thank you so much, Mona, for sitting and showing us and talking to us about the movements of our body and, you know, learning a new language. And I love that phrase that you said, appreciate your body. We really got to start appreciating ourselves, you know. Appreciation goes a long way and there's so many different ways. And Mona has shared it today on, on Tea Time. So reach out to Mona if you'd like to know more. Check out her website. And again, I want to thank all the listeners and supporters who tune in to Tea Time each and every Thursday and who tune in on the rescheduled days. I really appreciate all of you guys. So I want to thank you. And Mona, thank you so much for taking the time to sit with me and getting me to understand a little bit more about Act's own onomics. I think I said it right. I'm not, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So if practice repetition will get me better. Right. <laughs> so I want to thank you again. Don't leave. I'm just going to wrap up the live and I will see everybody tonight at seven with the last and final tea time of this week with Ryan Joseph Copyar. And he will be speaking about pain to purpose. So it's a really interesting topic. You'll want to tune in for that one as well. And it closes up the evening. So you can grab yourself a glass of wine and just join me and have a cup of tea with Miss Liz. So until then, I will see everybody at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Again, Mona, thank you so much for sitting down and having tea with me. I really had a pleasure today. It's been fabulous. Thank you. <laughs>